Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversations somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about a community opinion piece by Prophetic. Let's get into episode 11. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today is Nate, the BA of the show with all of his awesome mechanic-y stuff, <laughs> and Matt, the crazy Murdoch guy that we have around here, and all of his gaming suggestions. How are you? <laughs> well, I really appreciated that intro. So hey, you love Nate speechless. <laughs> You're welcome. You didn't give him a chance to talk about OpenSUSE in the first 10 seconds we had a show. Wow. You did it for me. I know. <laughs> You have stumbled on your typical plug for OpenSUSE, so I figured I'd do it for you. Yeah, you know, it works for me. We got it knocked out. We're good with the OpenSUSE talks. Now we can move on to the next thing. So what's going on, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> well played, Nate. Well played. This is going to be more of a community plug than anything else as far as events and stuff that are coming up. Um, on June 20th, I got another 24-hour live streaming gaming charity event that I am doing from 9 a.m. EST to 9 a.m. the next day. Be a long, long, long day of gaming and multiple games. It's kind of the same structure as the last one, so there will be about 12 different games. The community will be deciding on probably the multiplayer games specifically. I might throw out some of the single-player games that I have in mind, too. We will be doing another 50 to to $100 donation to an open source project too, just because we are an open source first kind of community, so it makes sense. This particular charity I'm raising money for is called CURE. It's uh, Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. Short version of as far as why I chose this particular charity. June 20th is the birthday for my brother who had passed away from epilepsy because he went into what they... Uh, those with epilepsy will know is what they call sudden cardiac arrest is because basically epilepsy, the short version is it shuts off a lot of stuff in the brain and the brain goes haywire and that's what causes, you know, the seizures and all the other fun stuff. My brother had 14 of them in 18 months, something like that. On the 15th one, he went into the sudden cardiac arrest, didn't get oxygen into his brain for 15, 20 minutes, something along those lines. I don't remember the exact details for it at this point. And we ended up having to make some life decisions of him being in the hospital for five days. As a family member who had to go through that, that is not a fun thing for any family to have to go through. The date felt right. The cause felt right. Like I was searching on Tiltify for, you know, causes was like, oh, I'll do like Hit Save, which is a game preservation. Totally cool charity. But I'm like, well, if I'm doing this on the 20th, it would make more sense as a personal connection to raise money for Cure. So that's who we're choosing and that's who uh, we're going with. The goal I have not currently set somewhere between 1500 and 2000 I figured. We were able to get through the $1,000 one for St. Jude's on the last one, so I figured try a little higher this time. We'll see where it goes. Well, I think that's super cool you're doing a charity stream for this. Mad props to you, you know, using the kids' vernacular for that. I don't know anyone who has suffered seizures like that, but it sounds incredibly scary. I know there's a lot of research being done out there to combat seizures and whatnot. Probably some of it controversial and not to talk about here and now, but I'm really hoping this is something that they can figure out, you know, what's going on electrically in the brain that causes these things to happen. It's uh, wonderful of you to do this. And I rarely say anything nice about you, but I'm going to actually say I'm really, really honored to know you and to be your e-friend and that you're doing this. So that's absolutely fantastic. Epilepsy is close to my family too. I have a cousin who has been dealing with this as a daily part of his life since he was born. Like he wasn't very old when he had his first set of seizures. He has them at least one almost every single day just kind of the way that his life has been lived and so I love seeing this charity and charities like them that are working on trying to figure out even if we can't stop the seizures for this particular person how are other ways that we can at least make their life easier or more comfortable and help the families that help those people with epilepsy so make sure you are joining Matt on Monday June 20th for this live stream, not only is it for an absolute great charity, but we all need to give him a hard time. That's part of the fun and joining in the live gaming streams is being able to play with Matt, 
tease him a little bit, I know I will definitely be there. Absolutely. There's one aspect I didn't mention. If we do reach the goal, I will end up planning a community night for gaming and we will play Among Us. That sounds great. We got to reach your goal. This is probably my favorite (laughs) thing from last week when you mentioned this stream. Yes, we need to hit that goal so that you will play Among Us. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Oh, I'm saying that we'll have a specifically designed community stream night and I will be getting all the other hosts, that means you two included, to play Among Us. Perfect. So you guys will finally break me down so you can play Among Us. (laughs) Perfect, 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 perfect. But we got to reach the goal first. If not, that's not an option. (laughs) And I still win there. Well, we'll just have to make sure you reach your goal. We'll have to get the community rallied up behind our cause of getting you to play Among Us, which just happens to dovetail into the cause of raising money for epileptic seizures. Well, I mean, yeah. (laughs) While I'm busy working on the charity side of stuff, you're working more in the hardware end, I guess, it seems. Yeah, you could say hardware end. I've talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago. I'm building a CNC. It's called specifically a lowrider CNC because it hugs the table to do like large cutout sheets of whatever material. I'm only doing softer materials right now. So plastics, wood, aluminum, stuff like that. But I'm building a CNC router table so that I can uh, build things, uh, do things. I have a lot of stuff already lined up that I will be doing to basically turn what I call cubicle labs into basically my full-time job. I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping that I can actually build and develop a successful open source-based business doing things like this. I just got the rather expensive extruded aluminum table that came in. It's still in its boxes because I'm allowing somebody to use some space right now, which made it inconvenient, but it's gone. I'm hoping this week to get it all put together. I'm still waiting on some other parts to come in yet because it seems like everything is arriving slowly and I'm very impatient, but the parts are coming in bit by bit. They're trickling in. I'm hoping by next week I can say I've started breaking things or not quite hurting myself, but you know, understanding how the machine works, figuring out its limitations, and hopefully soon thereafter making some sort of profit off of this. That's really interesting. There was some community feedback that we've gotten, especially on the video and the discourse forum when you were talking about building your CNC machine. I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's another podcast that a fellow listener of this podcast says that they've talked about some of the open source style CNC machines, and that might be something to kind of dig into or look at, see if it helps you in the process of building yours. I know you were trying to keep it as open source as possible. Which software are you using to run the CNC or have you not figured that out yet? I'll be using Linux CNC. Surprisingly, there's already a CNC distribution out there, which is pretty cool. It's Debian based. So, I mean, it could be cooler if it was OpenSUSE based, but I digress. There are some things I haven't quite totally figured out yet because I haven't actually built it yet to start playing with it. But I have all the boards and everything, the control boards and everything else. But just missing the whole table piece of it does kind of slow me down on building it. The biggest piece, uh uh-huh. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Yeah, the biggest piece, kind of what you need to build everything off of. And there's still some knowledge gaps that I have that will be filled in time. I have been looking at a lot of things online, a lot of resources, talking to people who are actually professionals in the field who build controls like this. I do have a good enough network of people around me that I think, I think I can be successful. It's just the whole admin piece of doing, of running a business. It's just, I find it awful. I used to have rentals. I hate everything to do with the admin piece of it. Doing the admin of this business is going to be a headache. I know it will be, but I'll have to just put on my big boy pants and get at it. It's definitely the least fun part for sure. But it'll be awesome for the Cubicle Labs to be not only the place where you play, but a place where you can play while you work. Exactly. And that is absolutely what I'm excited for. Now, Wendy, I see that you have a game recommendation that you're kicking the show off with. And what is this Bendy and the Ink Machine? This is a game that's actually been around for quite a while. It's kind of a puzzle horror style game. There are some people in the community that watched me play it recently, not on a public stream but in a more private jitsy chat is where it was being played. And of course, my kids were laughing as I died because I'm really not good at these games where you die, I don't turn fast enough, I don't (laughs) run fast enough, I don't have the skills. But I've played this one all the way through before. And it looks like the next game in the series is finally going to be out soon. I really enjoyed playing Bendy and the Ink Machine. And so... I'm playing this one over again in anticipation 
for the next one coming out. One of the coolest things about this game is there is a native Linux version of it. I originally bought it here a couple years ago when it was on a Halloween sale. Of course, we're nowhere near Halloween at the moment, so it's not on a Halloween sale, but when the newest one drops, it could possibly be on sale again. It's a lot of fun. You're going from a first-person basis, trying to solve, of course, some different puzzles as you go through. There is one section of the game later on in the chapters where it becomes more of a typical fight to survive where you have to hit the character multiple times in order to kill them and you survive to move on. And I could not get past that part. So it's okay. I can let everybody know I cheated. Mm -hmm. I let my daughter ended up playing that part for me got me past that section and then I finished playing the game and in this replay I'll try it I will try to get past that part on my own but if it doesn't happen after like 10 different tries I'm handing it over to her she can get me through the rest of that level cheat again yep I'll cheat again I'm open with cheating again (laughs) (laughs) I see you're not above that I am not I'm not above admitting that my child is better at it than I am and let her take over Matt will just cheat and then not tell us you're at least upfront about your cheating well some Sometimes I'm upfront about my cheating. It was the first or second, it was probably the first time that we all got together to play games as a network. And one of the ones that we were playing was, it was the tank game. I can't remember what it's called, but you've got different teams and your teams are firing the tanks at the other teams. I'll have to look it up later. Anyway, my husband had actually been playing that one more in the lead up to that game night. And so I stayed on the mic, but he actually played for me. And it wasn't until the last time we got together and played games as a network that I admitted I cheated there. I mean, I still admitted I cheated. It just (laughs) took me longer. Wendy, but at least you don't cheat as bad as Ryan does when we play Zenotic. Right? Time out. Time out. There's no timeout. He's just making you stop so he can shoot you. Timeout or, you know, people start playing better than him. He conveniently stays in like the second or third spot. But that person that starts getting a lot of kills on him magically gets booted out of the server. Hmm. 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 (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) That's a more overt cheating. I do have a certain amount of respect for that. You have to be rather brazen to do that. Anyone who can be that brazen... Well, I mean, it is Ryan's server, so... He can make tweaks and changes to the back end. Yeah, yeah. Everything's like sepia-toned, it looks like. Maybe there's some more color than in the game itself. Nope, that's the whole thing. It's either really sepia or in the darker levels because it's a black ink that it gets really, really dark in some of the different levels. But yeah, it's a sepia tone style. They've kind of based Bendy, even though he's supposed to be a demon, like in the game's a happy demon. Those older Mickey Mouse cartoons and the black and white where there's a lot of music. So that's kind of where this is based off. Bendy is almost a base of Mickey. Boris is a base on Goofy. They've had a lot of fun pulling that style in. And I know I've mentioned it before when I've talked about this game but it is one of the few times where you can take this cute little cardboard cutout and make me jump with it especially in the earlier levels if you're gonna play be prepared out of nowhere this little cardboard cutout is going to pop out from behind corners and stuff (laughs) not actually going to chase you just out of nowhere as you're walking along trying to figure out what you're doing next Here's this face that rounds the corner. The way they're using the ink, it kind of feels like it could be blood. Right, exactly. In the game, like just watching the previews. It has a kind of a creepy vibe to it, but not quite creepy. I don't know. I'm not really sure how to describe it. It's like scary horror, but not really scary horror. Exactly. Maybe I'm crazy. It's a blendable. Yeah, it, it is. So it's like it could be kid friendly without being dull, I suppose. The further you get into the game, the more horror-esque it gets. But it's still all based on these different cartoon characters that have come to life. Well, I guess not all of them. There are a couple of them that used to be real people, and then they've now covered in this life-giving ink that brought the characters to life and it's made them a bit deranged. Okay, more than a bit deranged. Mm. All of the characters that you have to worry about the most are cartoon characters that are now alive because of this ink machine. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's definitely a neat presentation. It's been fun. I'm excited to see what they do in the next one, the characters they bring back, the changes in the graphics. My daughter is super excited. She has been waiting for this game unpatiently since she got done playing the game the first time over. And I think this one's been in the work for like 10 years. I know it's been a really, really long time that they've been working on getting it out and we're all excited to see it. 
and it should be extremely soon. They shut down their store until this game launches. There was another teaser that was dropped here just a couple days ago. So that's why we're replaying it now as anticipation of the new game. They've made it seem like it's actually showing up here in the next month or two. When you do get it, make sure you give us an update on it, what you think of it. This looks to be a really fun game. Will do. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your team can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean helps teams regardless of size, whether you're a team of one to a team of 1,000 people. DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, you can get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. We have such a super awesome community around us, and one of those great community members is Prophetic. Recently on the Discourse Forum, he shared his thoughts about what the future of the Linux desktop looks like. Is it on borrowed time? And he shared some of his concerns. Some of the other people in the community have responded to him and also shared their thoughts and feelings on this topic. So we figured we'd A, kind of bring a little light to this thread. So if you have some comments, you can jump in and join too and share our thoughts on what we think is going on with the Linux desktop. Because this topic gets brought up really quite frequently. It seems like every single year we're talking about what does the Linux desktop look like? Is it going to survive? What are the changes that are going to happen? And it's probably a big concern for all of us because we are daily Linux desktop users. In reading this, Matt, is there anything that kind of jumped out at you? What did you think about it? It all really depends on the perspective of what you're looking at. You know, you can call this cherry picked. You can call this some different way of looking at the desktop. Earlier last year, we had kind of talked about some of this death of the Linux desktop and all this kind of other stuff. And for me, it really hasn't changed all that much. Just looking at the landscape, when you look at like the hard numbers of contributions and all that kind of stuff. I know Prophetic is looking at this more from just like talks about Ubuntu and how they dropped Unity and Ubuntu Touch and all that stuff. The focus for Canonical as a company and Ubuntu as a project is kind of more on the cloud than anything else because, you know, obviously that's where they make their money. They talks about Fedora being kind of a half rolling, half not, but it's basically just a test bed for Red Hat. That's kind of always been its thing, to be brutally honest, at least from, again, I'm just going to say from my perspective, that's how I've always viewed Fedora. Then he's like, oh, but it leaves, and this will tickle Nate's fancy, it leaves OpenSUSE <laughs> perhaps as our greatest hope for traditional desktop experience. Help me, OpenSUSE. You're my only hope. <laughs> <laughs> the Ubuntu thing. Ubuntu lost its focus on the desktop a long time ago. You know, you could go back as far as like 2012 when they started with like the Ubuntu for TV stuff and, you know, Ubuntu for Android, I think it was. Like you can look prior to that as far as when they started losing focus. Once they did Unity and it was halfway decently solid on 1204, I'm not going to lie, as someone who used it for a long time, their focus shifted. And that's fine. Like companies do that. But it's a look at stuff from somebody within the community, but I think... Their take is a little more cherry-picked and really specific. The thing with Linux is these are all based on companies. Fedora is a project, but a majority of Fedora is backed by Red Hat, regardless of whether or not the project wants to admit it. 
as far as like his contributions and stuff. OpenSUSE has a community, Nate, before you get me on flack about it. They have a community. Yes, they do. Wonderful community. A super nice community. <laughs> I actually won't disagree with that. But what I will say is that a lot of the OBS, the open build service and that kind of stuff, a lot of that is dependent on the company end of the things. So those companies will tend to drive the major versions, Fedora, Ubuntu, and SUS, and all that kind of stuff. But then you get into like the community stuff, Arch, and Gentoo, and some of the other Debian. Don't forget Slackware. You would know best seeing how you recently did that on a Linux Salute. You also have Slackware. Yes. But then you also <laughs> have like a bunch of the independent projects too. I think if you're looking at it from a company perspective or a community perspective, it all depends on how you're looking at it. That's my take. Right. And the companies themselves are going to focus on where they are making the most money even though I would say Ubuntu's focus as far as income is on the cloud because that's where they make their money, I don't feel that they have abandoned the desktop. I don't think it's a, oops, there it went. We're just now giving up on it. They may not be putting in the exact same work that they were putting on it before they have dropped Unity. They're using something else. I still find that that's okay. We need to be able to, when we're working on different projects, realize I like this thing, but how can we best utilize our time? This is something that needs to go so we can make this part stronger, so we can make this other part work better. Hey, let's take this already existing system, this already existing project, use it and give some feedback, some input, some help with that project in and of itself, make that one stronger instead of devoting all of our time to creating our own thing. I don't think it kills the Linux desktop for... Ubuntu. And then on the OpenSUSE side, I do have to agree, fantastic community. I spend a lot of time mm -hmm. anymore hanging out with all of those super awesome people. But at the same time, if you're looking at who their board is, who is in charge of a lot of the what comes down in OpenSUSE, a lot of those people actually work for SUSE. While it is an open source community project, it does have a lot of players from the company with their input and making things work or changes inside of that. It's not a bad thing for the company to still have a focus on that open source project because their name is still attached to that. But at the same time, I wouldn't say OpenSUSE would be my number one when it comes to desktop because of the things that we've talked about before. One, and installing. Yes, you can get through it. Anybody who's installed stuff before can walk through the process. I, I've installed Windows recently, and that can be an absolute nightmare. I think in comparison, the OpenSUSE installer isn't any worse than the Windows installer. And actually, I think the Windows installer is worse because it takes four flipping ever to get through that whole entire thing. But at the same time, you have to turn on specific repos if you want specific packages or learn how to pull things from different places that you don't before. So it's not my, I don't want to say ideal desktop for a new user, but it's not an out of the box, ready to go desktop user experience where some of these other distributions are. Garuda, I think is a more out of the box gaming desktop experience. And that is a one-off community style distribution and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with these little different projects having their niches and desktop Linux being different than Windows desktop and Mac desktop. I don't want it to be the same. I had the same kind of feeling when we were talking about, oh, it was one of the topics recently that we were bringing up, oh, what Linux should do to get more mainstream. I'm okay if we do things different. Linux can do things different. It doesn't have to be the same. And our best desktop experiences don't have to be run by the biggest companies in Linux. I want to go and touch back on Fedora a little bit. If you think about it, a lot of the new technologies we use in Linux today came from Red Hat or Fedora. Think about Pipewire, Paul Sadia before that, SystemD. These things were put into Linux by Red Hat. So they are investing very heavily into the desktop. Now, whether or not Fedora with its half rolling is the best for you know, the average user, that's arguable. I think that's a great model. It's a great cadence that they use about every six months because it doesn't get so stale that you can't use the newer hardware. But at the same time, it does require you, the user, being very proactive and keeping it going. In contrast, OpenSUSE, who I think provides a great desktop experience, but the reality is they're more of a maker-focused SUSE has never focused on the brand new to Linux user. I don't recall any time when that was actually its focus. I think it's just focused on being SUSE. 
So it's not the easiest to install, although they are making strides in that with this new installer system that they're working on. It's very close to being available. As far as the traditional desktop experience, I don't really see that. I mean, as much as I like to say SUSE OpenSUSE is the greatest hope, I think that they're the greatest hope, not necessarily for the desktop experience, but for the maker experience, for people who want to make things and do things with their hardware or software. I think that's where they focus their energy. So that said, I don't know that I agree with all of, of the points here, or I feel like maybe it's why well, it's a great topic, but I don't know that anything is really not on borrowed time. We could go so far as to say that, yeah, maybe the desktop is on borrowed time. The desktop paradigm today maybe is on borrowed time. I mean, we've, we've basically been using it since this iteration, like the plasma look or whatever, since Windows 95, essentially. But you have to be able to do work. And I don't know how else you're going to do work, but on a desktop. If you're going to make something, create something, design something, write applications, how else would you do that? Actually, Nate, you bring up a good point. One of the things about creators specifically he, he mentions is, you mentioned the current paradigm. He mentions, and this is a quote, if this all plays out, we'll be looking at a very anemic Linux distro landscape in the next five to seven years. Meanwhile, closed source proprietary companies, big and small, will lead progress yet again in areas where most new users are getting new introductions to personal computing, which is the tablet and the VR, AR space. He apparently has more to say at another time. That is an interesting take because about what you mentioned is the current paradigm. I think for people in our generation, we are used to the desktop, laptop. That's the paradigm a lot of us are used to. Some of that shows age, some of that just shows what we're used to. But if you look at newer generations who only grew up on Android and iOS tablets and that kind of you know, touchscreen interfaces, the paradigm for them is different. So I don't think he's wrong in that viewpoint. But Wendy, you would know better than me. If you look at things like XDA and whatnot, and I know Android is not the best example of things, but it's the current one we can only make a comparison to. There is quite the healthy modding community for Android and ROMs, if I am not mistaken, on XDA. Is there not? Yeah, there still is a very large group of people. I wouldn't say they're dominant in the space of Android, but you do have a very nice community that is in that modding take for Android. And just like what Nate brought up with all of the new things that do come in Fedora, I think that is a fantastic ground to test those things, to be able to test Wayland, to be able to test Python wire in a situation that you can bring them to the other types of desktops or distribution to help get some of those bugs worked out because the Fedora community seems to be willing. I know that this is new and that there's bugs and be able to file those bugs. Whereas in maybe some of the other communities where I need to just install my software and go there isn't as much room for that flexibility and that testing status. These different places that we can go and find stuff means that there is room for desktop Linux to grow and change because of the test beds. My kids use computers way different than I do. And we've talked about this in the past with the education resources. Most of my children want to be able to use touchscreen. So they love my tablet because of the touchscreen and that Android experience of being able to move things around. Having them use computers more often, anything that has a touchscreen on it, they are more comfortable with. Yes, do they type? Yes, do they use the mouse? Do they prefer an actual mouse over the touchpad? Absolutely. But having the extra, oh, I can just touch it and hit my answer is part of the desktop paradigm for them in the future. And so it's hard to say what's going to be changing and what that's going to be looking like. It definitely won't stay like it is now. I expect it to grow or differentiate itself over the years. Yeah, I definitely agree because like, especially in the example of your kid's situation, would you say when they're using like the Surface devices, because those are currently probably the best, are, are they using more of the mouse keyboard, you know, touch cover, type cover, whatever flavor you have, or are they poking more at the screen? That's kind of where we're at with the current desktop paradigm. Is it like the keyboard's the option? There's a reason all of them are an option. It's kind of like with the Steam Deck. All those inputs are an option. 
we're trying to find what the next input option is because we have people like us who are all curmudgeonly giving my mouse and keyboard. And then we have the newer generation who kind of grew up on, you know, input of touch screens and everything else. I think personal computing is going to be defined by whatever the next version of input is going to be as far as um, stuff. And some view it as AR or VR. And I think there's a flexibility in range with that because I still love my desktop. Yeah, the laptop is nice for its portability, but I love my desktop. I love that I can change things out very easily in that. I like that I have my two large monitors that stay in the same place all of the time. (laughs) Now, when my kids are using the Surface devices, if it's the Surface book, they do use the keyboard more because that form factor feels more like your typical standard laptop. And then there will be some touch interface here and there. When they want to use my Surface Pro 6, they have me log in and immediately rip the keyboard off of it and go to using it without the keyboard. Which I think is awesome in some ways because they've got everything they need with touch. They're usually playing learning games that don't absolutely have to have the keyboard input inside of them. And because all of the heat producing hardware is in that main screen section, I'm not worried if they go sit down on the floor with it propped up or whatever because it's still getting plenty of ventilation. There's so much room inside this space for multiple different types of desktop experiences, whether it's what Nate said, where OpenSUSE is a little bit more of a creators, tinkerers kind of desktop, or if you go all the way to Ubuntu Studio, where that is built for media production or one that's built for gaming, it means that just like we see in other platforms, Windows, no two people's Windows system or setup is directly the same. The Linux desktop, I think, is flourishing with all of the available options we have to make it what we need it to be. And the fact that new technologies are still coming in, they're still being worked on to improve those things. And excuse me while I say the following. Valve, you just sent me my purchase request. Oh, <laughs> no, literally, I'm sitting here on my Linux system and your Steam Deck reservation expires in three days. What? What do they mean it expires? When they send you the purchase notification, you have three days to respond. Then they move on to the next one. Oh, gotcha. Which is why I want to pay them initially. So now I have a $400 complete purchase. I just decided to check my email just now. Sorry, give me a second. I need to make a $400 purchase while we're recording. Sounds good. Shipping information. No, that is the wrong shipping information valve. I'm all distracted by the Steam thing now. Touch inputs. Okay, I got some comments on that. It's funny you talk about the changing in the inputs of computers over time. It wasn't all that long ago that the wheel was introduced, the scroll wheel. Maybe it was been a long time. But using the mouse back in the 90s when I did, there was no scroll wheel. And what's funny is when I go back to using like the Amiga to do a thing or whatever, just play around with the desktop experience there, I am sometimes irritated now that there is no scroll wheel. I'm used to a scroll wheel. Or I have a mouse, one mouse that... I can push side to side the mouse wheel and it'll scroll side to side as well. And then I have another mouse that doesn't do that. And I'm irritated by the mouse that doesn't have those additional features. So I think we're going to see more and more user interactions happen with the different devices we use, the touchscreen being a device that we use and now like multi-touch or even like touchpads. It was at one time, I just used a touchpad to move the cursor around and then I would press a button for left or right to interact with it. And now their gestures on the touchpad itself. So by using multiple finger inputs, you can change interaction with your desktop. The inputs are constantly going to be changing. And to say that touchscreen is the future or is the only future, I don't think that's the case. And I think that you'll see with kids, the way they want to accomplish a task changes by whatever that task is they're trying to do. So for instance, I noticed like when my kids are browsing the web on that Fujitsu T725, they want to touch the screen for scrolling and for like selecting things. But if they're doing things like LeoCAD or some other like productivity type thing, they're not touching the screen. They want to use the mouse or the touchpad to do a different task. So I think we're going to see based on the task, you'll see various methods of interacting with the machine. Now, the computer I'm standing in front of right now, my Commodore 64 Imposter, does not have a touchscreen ultra-wide. But there are times I catch myself getting ready to push something on the screen because I'm thinking to touch the screen, even though it's not a touchscreen. I've never touched the screen. And I catch myself before I actually touch it because otherwise I'd be very upset with myself for getting a fingerprint on the screen itself. 
But I find that even me, I am kind of changing my input strategies based on what it is that I'm doing as well. It's an interesting thing to say, is the desktop on borrowed time? Maybe you could say it is in the way it is today, but the desktop is going to move and shift and change and grow, develop, adapt to whatever it is that we need to do with whatever task is we're doing with the computer. It's a very interesting idea. I've been racking my brain. If I tried to use Windows 95, a very traditional desktop, in the way I use Plasma, they're very different, although there's some similarities. They're very different in how you use them. You don't have a lot of the same features and gestures and so forth. I know because I have a Windows 95 uh, virtual machine just to look at it from time to time. And so it's interesting to just think about that the way we use computers have vastly changed over the last you know, 20, 30 years. It's possible for Prophetic here to be both right and not right about his statement, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I wouldn't say that this topic necessarily has a right or a wrong. It's one of those where it's so large and there's so much gray area going on that I think multiple people can have ideas that hold true. And the way we look at those ideas can be completely different. And I don't think there will ever be a consistency across all of the different communities, Linux-wide, on this topic in general. And I think that there'll probably be times when the desktop environments converge in some ways and then will diverge in other ways because people are going to explore different ways to answer the same question. And then you also have the whole aspect of there's an art to the science. And so art is going to express itself in various ways while we're trying to figure out the science of interacting with our computer. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of funny when you were talking about the mouse and I was thinking of the mice that we've been using for a long, long time. Yes, my last couple have been gaming mice, but even on the other ones we've been using, there have been the forward and back buttons on them. And when I was working on my in-laws computer last weekend doing stuff, they had a very, very basic cordless mouse. It had no forward and back buttons. And I found it frustrating not to have those anymore. Right. When I use them all the time on my desktop system, on the kitchen system, like I am used to having those buttons. And for that input to not be there was just frustrating. So yeah, things are going to change. We all use our inputs differently. It's funny you should say that the mouse that I have that I'm using on this computer has a forward and back button and I never use them. I use them on <laughs> websites quite a bit. I use them when I am working through the file manager. And that's where I was getting frustrated with not having the forward and back buttons there is I was doing some backup stuff on their system. I'd get into a folder, copy over what I needed, and then go to hit the back button to go to the previous folder to get the next thing that I needed, and it wasn't there. So then you have to navigate up to the back in order to get to the previous folder, and I love my forward and back buttons. Love them. I'm going to try and use them a little bit more. That is actually very convenient. I was using it on the mm -hmm. file manager just now, and I'm like, wow, that's really fast. Very fast. So I usually do the alt and then left and right to go back and forward in the file manager, but that's pretty darn convenient. See, I learned something today. I don't know why I didn't try it before. Every once in a while, I've got a tip. <laughs> the uh, other machine that I use differently is my kitchen system because it has a touchscreen interface. A lot of times when I'm working on a recipe, you know, your hands get dirty in the kitchen, and I don't want to use the keyboard and mouse, and I don't use my fingers either, so I use my knuckles to like tap on the screen, the touch screen. Largely, I use the keyboard and mouse on the computer if I'm not actually baking something at that moment. If I'm getting ready to do something, ready to go through a recipe, I'll find everything using it like with a traditional computer. But then as soon as I find it, I switch from using it like a traditional computer to using it like a tablet almost. And so the fact that Plasma is flexible enough to function in multiple desktop paradigms, I guess, maybe that's not the right word, maybe not a different paradigm, but different, but flexible enough to use the different inputs at once makes it so much more versatile to use. And the fact that it has a glass screen is kind of nice too. I kind of wish that my kitchen system did have a touch screen. I know my keyboard needs cleaned again because holy moly, it is very dirty once more. When your hands are dirty, but you need to change something on the computer, it would be nice to just be able to tap it with a knuckle and have it taken care of. I'm so glad that touchscreen has become a part of the Linux desktop, that it is functions that we can use, not just for my kids, because I do find it handy too, even when I'm using my Surface. The Linux desktop just like I think the desktop for other operating systems has so much wiggle room and it can look so different 
across the board. I just love that. Yeah, I think the flexibility built into the desktop environment itself will probably position the different environments to being able to accommodate the different input methods. Yes. That's something to think about as well, which is, again, why I really like Plasma, because it can adjust to those different input paradigms very easily. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You think Matt's done yet? Well, I see he's posted a picture that he spent the money, but I haven't heard him yet. I'm done. I'm just rearranging some financial stuff. Ah, yes. I was going to say a little chap that I don't have mine. This episode of Linux LR is brought to you by Bitwarden. One thing we can do to protect ourselves is having unique passwords for every online account that we have. I've been using Bitwarden for a while now to do just that. It not only helps me keep track of the many passwords I now have, it includes a random password generator, you can set the length of special characters, and so much more. But here at its open source, receives third-party security auditing, and you can get started for free by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Want some of their premium features like one gigabyte of file storage, vault health reports, or just support the project? It starts for only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com DLN to get started with your free account now. Last time you didn't have a game of the week for us, Matt. Tell us you've got one now. So luckily, or unluckily for you guys, I do. But here's the thing. It doesn't cost a dime. And it's not an open source game. It's just a free game. And it's not a free-to-play game in the way you'd think. This game is called Kane, K9, however you want to pronounce it. It's C-A-Y-N-E. And this is a an adventure horror game, but it's done in a, what they would call an isometric view. So it's that top-down Diablo 2, 3 type view that a lot of people wouldn't really know unless you played a lot of the Infinity Engine games. Or if you want a modern equivalent, games like Torment, games like Pillars of Eternity, and those type of games, like that kind of view. Again, totally free. You can get it on GOG. You can get it on Steam. They do have like $7 purchase version, which gives you like the soundtrack, some 4K wallpapers, and I believe the script for the entire series. I'm not 100% sure on that, the game script. So that's kind of cool. I really like this art style. I like the direction it is. It's a different kind of game. For those that you know are on Linux only because we're on Linux Out Loud, this is not just a Mac or a Windows or a console game. It's a Linux native game too. And the cool thing is they have a continuation, which this is a part of a series called Stasis. Stasis, which is also a Linux native game, and they are having a, another game coming out called, uh, I can't remember the, the full name of it, but it's Stasis something. I can't remember the full name off the top of my head. While they're putting a Windows version at first out, they're also doing a Linux and Mac build as well. And I am totally cool with developers, you know, making sure this version is good, that version is good, and then I'm totally cool with that. So for me, I like the art design. I like the vantage point of the game. I like that it's a different kind of game style. Like it's a point and click, sure, but it's done in a different way. And the fact that it's free, like what's not to like about a free game? There's a production value for that free though that you normally wouldn't associate it unless you have like the free to play which can get into kind of scummy business practices so the way they went about it's like here's essentially a demo for the entirety of this trilogy ish type game series that we're looking at so i'm really cool with like here's the prologue kind of deal well the premise is a little bit frightening but that's the point hadley (laughs) wakes in a facility she is nine months pregnant they want her baby in fairness that's the point of the game that's the whole point of the series yeah no i I get it it's a little frightening Mm -hmm. even though it's free the price is right for a guy like me i don't know how much i would enjoy this really i I don't i don't have nightmares but because of that price nate right i might install it just because the whole nightmare inducing aspect you and wendy like these frightening games don't you so nate here's a suggestion just hold tight your open susha plushie and it'll be okay you know that's a good idea if i hold it tight every time i'm scared i just grab it squeeze it to keep me from crying insatiably. I might need to check out this game myself. I used to be more into scary movies and the like, but after I got pregnant with my first child, I don't know what it was. There's so many of those movies that I just can't do. I just can't sit through them anymore. So I'll have to take a look at this one. We'll see how I do. I did horrible at Doom, but that's because, I mean, not only are you being chased by monsters, but you have to have skills. 
and I just don't have skills when it comes to gaming. I'll take a look at it. It <laughs> might actually be up my alley. Luckily, this game does not require what you would play in a Doom game. This is more of a story-focused, atmospheric kind of game, which is the nice part. This might be more up your alley. Though, I will say, not for the kiddos. No, I'm going to say not. I'm assuming it's like her room, her bedroom. I don't know. It's this personal terminal there. It looks like, like somebody died in that bed. There's like blood streaks everywhere, and then up by the wall. Maybe something was being dragged out. I don't know what happened there. It looks like there's a story behind that. Just that. It's almost like it's a story-driven horror game. Like Yeah, yeah. Novel. Weird. So, Nate... Well, I'm giving purchase advice for games for the adults that are not for the kids. You're doing something for the kids in 3D printing, though. This is true. I have been making these little fidget button toys for the kids. I originally did it for just my class for, for school. It went over very well. And now my kids are insisting on some more of these little fidget buttons. They haven't actually broken any, which is amazing. And so I've been printing a lot of pink parts because my daughter and my niece really want some pink fidget button things. I'm trying to encourage them to make it a little more multicolor, but they're absolutely fixed on pink, which is fine, which is cool. So it's been a lot of fun. And I did a printer enclosure. I think I talked about it last week to make printing ABS better. And it has. So now I'm printing a bunch of these little ABS parts for the kids to play with. There's a little bit of cleanup work that's required after a print to make the adhesion more uniform onto the print bed. I have to kind of like file the edges off a little bit, which isn't a big deal. Every bit of plastic that comes out of a die requires some sort of trimming work anyway. So I'm just manually trimming it. So it's been kind of fun, you know, making these things and the kids ask me to, you know, put these things together. The fun of a 3D printer just seems to be endless. The fact that, you know, my kids are getting a little bit more excited about it. They're looking for things now on Thingiverse and occasionally ask me to print some other things too. But right now the fidget button is the thing to print. And so I'm printing some different numbers of buttons per frame. I start off with just one button inside the frame. And so I'm doing these four button frames. I'm probably going to end up doing nine button frames. It's a lot of fun. I'm hoping that maybe just maybe this will inspire them to want to do 3D design and design their own things as well. But we'll see. You know, it's early stages yet. So I'm hoping to encourage them in the idea of some mechanical design through the desire of pink buttons. These are so much fun. I love to see what you're doing with your 3D printer. I think I've narrowed down to the one that I've got. So there'll be tons of questions coming your way when I finally get mine here and set up. What made you choose this fidget toy over maybe some of the other ones that are out there? Someone suggested it. So I tried it and it was a big hit. That's really what it boils down to. <laughs> and they seem like for the most part, they're a pretty simple little fidget toy. There's not a whole lot of bits and parts and pieces to them. This is true. It's pretty simple. There's just a few parts that go together. I will have a link to the project that has these buttons, these fidget buttons, and you can try it yourself when you get your printer. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's something that you enjoy too. Yeah, they're, they're very simple. They're just a few parts to do for it to work. Loads of fun for the kids. And actually, I find myself keeping one with me and messing with it as well. It's not just for kids. It's for adults with problems. I muted myself and then talked. Perfect. I can't <laughs> wait to give them a try. So Wendy, I see that you have signed up and you're getting ready to do some reading. Yeah, I talked about it a little bit last week where I said I wanted to do some audiobook reading as kind of one of the ways that I can give back to the community. I absolutely love audiobooks. It's the way I consume books the most. I've talked about how audiobooks are one of the ways that I get back to sleep. If I wake up in the middle of the night and I just can't go back to sleep, I'll turn on an audiobook, put an earbud in my ear, go back to sleep, and they really are a huge part of my life. There is an open source project called LibreVox, and of course, they need people, they need volunteers to read the audiobook. So to actually do the physical recording of them, they need people to go in and listen back to any of the things that have been recorded. Is there any changes that need to be made? Is there any errors or issues that need to be fixed before they're uploaded for the public to use? I know even on our community thread, the discourse thread, we've had issues with spammers and the like. Those people seem to be absolutely everywhere. And LibreVox has definitely been dealing with those issues too. So I went ahead and I signed up for an account. It got approved. I think I noticed that email first thing this morning. So yay, I'm actually able to sign into the account. And now the next thing I need to do is make my 
one minute tester audio, which I submit to them before I can volunteer as any of the books that I would like to help out with on the recording side of it. They do have pretty specific audio requirements that they want. I mean, there's a little bit of fluctuation in there, but they do want consistency in some of the quality and the loudness that is across all of the audiobooks. So they give you that, what those specifications are. And one of the other really cool things that I found as I was looking into this project, what are their requirements for me to help out? Somebody else has built an open source app called The Checker download it to your computer, and then put the file into this checker. And it'll make sure that A, the name format is correct. It'll make sure that the audio is set to where they want it. It's really, really cool. So overall, this is an awesome project. We've used a different open source library in the past. They also have audiobooks, but LibreVox is just for audiobooks alone. I cannot wait to start helping out in this project. When we're done here, I'm going to go record my one minute tester, get that up, get that to them so I can start working on projects. I do have some other stuff going on, so I won't be able to do too much on the recording side until school is over for the year, until co-ops are over for the year. But just getting some of that groundwork done and out of the way means that when I have time, I'm not messing with the let's get started. I can just get to work on getting some stuff recorded and out there. I think that's a really cool project to get yourself involved into. I don't think it's something I could personally do because I kind of mumble too much, but I think that that's really neat. You know, you got a great voice for it and I hope that you can contribute a lot to this. Audiobooks are pretty great, especially when you want to read a book, but you just don't have the time to read the book. You're busy, you know, doing stuff with your hands, your eyes or someplace else. It's good to have the ability to listen to the book instead of having to just read it. I'm so much more of an auditory learner than when it comes to reading. In order to get the information from something and reading it, it takes me multiple times, multiple read-throughs in order to, especially depending on the complexity of the topic. But if I can hear somebody talk about it, if I can do it at the same time I hear it, or if I can listen to the story while I'm doing something else, it just sticks so much better for me. And I would love for more people to have access to audiobooks and from all different genres, kids' books, textbooks. LibreVox focuses on books that are now in the community domain. They have went past that copyright age. You can do audio recordings of them or share copies of the books without having to deal with copyright issues. Yeah, that's very cool. I definitely want to be kept updated on how this goes over the weeks. Once my first project is up and out, all of you will know about it. I will link to it so you can hear what my reading voice sounds like if you're interested in. And I will pretty much only be picking books that I'm interested in to do the reading because I feel that that'll be the best way for me to give them their all. But I'll let you know as soon as I know. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or contact form by visiting dlnextend.com slash contact. Yes, it's still the dln.com contact page. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Saloon, plus more at destinationlinux.network. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I paused my game to be here shirt. I still have the Hardware Addicts desk mat on my wish list. I gotta get it picked up here sometime soon. I keep talking about it, but like many things, I know I want to, but it takes a little while to get it done. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. Mm -hmm.